This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. I got the beard back in the saddle with me. I mean, we've had Hell a couple yeah. guest host episodes drop in the last week or two that I completely forgot about. The vid, have, man. Vid had me out of commission, bro. Listen, it's got my parents down right now. Ooh, it, uh, yeah. They're vaccinated. Still got so, it. I mean, still so am I. It's, it's, yeah. uh, but I, I would think that it had to have lessened the effects because it, it felt like a bad cold. But I, there was a day or two where I didn't get out of bed. I don't wow. know. I'm not vaccinated, but I had it and built my own antibodies and haven't had it again and feel great. So I think I'm going to go out and go. run a marathon in the parking lot right Smart. now. Smart. <laughs> Anyhow, we've got a very special guest today. Mr. Clayton Wood is with us. And we are going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, but Clayton's coming from a little different angle in that he is a benefits guy. And we love talking about benefits, specifically when we're going in and talking about workers' comp. So I have a feeling yep. discussion is going to be pretty lively today. Clayton, welcome to Power Producers, brother. How you doing? Well, thanks, David. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. Longtime listener, so uh, gained a ton of value in the past from you guys. So hopefully we can add some value today. Let's do it. Let's do it. So why don't you give everybody the 10,000-foot overview of who Clayton Wood is, where he came from, and what he's doing right now. Yeah, I guess uh, uh, start from the beginning. I, I grew up in it. My my dad was a benefits broker, owned an agency since I was born. So kind of grew up hmm. around the office and things. And in college, uh, you go out and it's summer come along and you go get an internship. And I would talk to my parents about it, and then about a week later, my dad came to me and goes, hey, I'll pay you a dollar more, and I'll give you some unlimited PTO, and you could work on these different things of the business. Just come work with me. It's kind of his way of trying to get me in. And so def- I did that for a couple summers, and I did. I got to a point where my path was, hey, I'm going to take over the benefit agency of the family, and I'm just going to live in small town Ohio, cold as heck, and, and do that. Uh, I had a weird experience in college where I ran this, I, I helped run a, a leadership conference in Cabo, St. Lucas, Mexico. Hmm. And okay. it was funny because, and I know everybody laughs because it's one of the best places in the world. And what we did is we told college kids, hey, you come down to Cabo, we'll pay for your hotel and your food. You just have to pay for your flight. And you got to sit through a conference from 10 in the morning to three in the afternoon. And then after that, you can do whatever you want. And better, it's during spring break. 
So I mean, sounds like sounds like a no brainer, Clayton. Uh, Absolutely. But what we did is we brought CEOs and (laughs) presidents and CEOs and all this all these different business owners across the country to come and talk about if they were twenty years old, what did they want to hear to be successful as they were today. And because I was there for a month straight, I get to listen to everybody. And everybody had the like, same concept. Focus, work harder than everybody else, do things people won't do, and really persist through the hard times. And I, it made me instantly think, okay, I can't stay in small town Ohio. There's just no way I could sit and just be a small town, small broker. So I, I picked up and decided I'm not going to do the family business thing. I'm going to move to Charlotte, and uh, which I got a job in the business development group at Vanguard mutual fund company group. Mm-hmm. So Clayton, so, let me ask you a question. Cause I may not, I may have spaced and not heard it, but I didn't remember hearing you say where you were from in Ohio. What part of Ohio were you from? Finley, Ohio, small Finley. town, probably 40 minutes South of Toledo. Yeah, familiar. I know exactly where it is. Absolutely. Yep. I was born in Lorraine. My, so oh, my, awesome. Yeah. My, my whole family extended- is from Ohio. You can see the little Buckeye thing up there. So <laughs> can't see much of anything right now no. because you're completely blurred out. Are you guys Browns oh, fans, Bengals fans? We're Tampa Bay Bucks fans. Bucks fans. I, I was born here. I mean, but my parents are oh. from Columbus, and so I'm a huge Buckeye fan. But I will definitely be rooting for the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I will um, too. I think I I'll mean, root for the Bengals. I don't know, man. That's kind of a tough one. I, I you, I feel bad for the Bengals because it's been so long since they've been there. But I feel like Matthew Stafford put so yeah, much time in in yeah. Detroit, and he is a, he is an, a a very much above average quarterback. Definitely. He has crushed he's, it. Oh, yeah. He's a fantasy. Top. He's a top eight QB in the league. But does he get into the Hall of Fame without a Super Bowl? No. I I had this discussion with my buddy because he's like hating on Stafford. And I'm like, dude, he's, I mean, he he doesn't get as much credit as he should. He was on a horrible team his entire career. He crushed in fantasy for me, though, especially when he had Megatron. Yeah. I mean, I like Burrow. I'll be rooting for the Bengals. And, you know, I, I, um, and fuck the Rams because they beat the Bucs. So it's just kind of like, I'm still a little salty about that. But sounds like I'm a, yeah, a whatever. dedicated, miserable Brown, Browns fan. I always yeah. will be. And Dude, I Browns think, fans are crazy, man. I, I, I know a million of them, and they are the most loyal fans of any type I, of fan out there. They've sucked for so that's long. That's because like, when we were kids, we had to sit in the mistake by the lake with mm-hmm. 15 <laughs> layers of clothing on, and when the wind blew, it felt like you were buck naked sitting in the stands. <laughs> it's so brittle. I saw Worst my stadium first, ever. I saw my first playoff win ever last year. I mean, and, that, yeah, and that's how right. dedicated, but... I mean, being in the same division, you want to hate the Bengals, but seeing right. Burrow being a hometown, yeah, not a hometown exactly. guy, but home state guy, I just want yep. to root him on like crazy too. Yep. All but right, yeah. so we interrupted you around the time you got to Vanguard, so let's keep going because yeah, so, we, we're horrible quick, influences. That's yeah. right. I, quickly, I figured out I'm not a corporate guy. I mean, I just, well, I couldn't stand being able to or having to make the same money as the person on my left and the right and work 10 times harder and put in more hours and it just drove me nuts. So I... What I did is, okay, I'm like, I'm on this certified financial planner advisor track, so maybe I'll join an independent advisor. So I kind of Googled all these different advisors, and I just, best advisors in the state. And I found this guy that was in Charlotte, huge book of business, always top five best advisors. And I just reached out to him and and interviewed with him and got a job. And he kind of had the same mindset as a lot of the business owners that we met with at Cabo. It's focus, work hard be consistent, things like that. And he grew his whole book by cold calling. I mean, just cold calling like nuts. And he did it for 30 years and runs a $15 million revenue business with 20 employees. So he's just making a killing, an absolute killing. 
And he said he did so, it for 30 years guy, or three? No, he called called 30. 30, yeah, he, he okay. Cold calls and he's in his late 50s. I was going to say 15 mil in, in, in three years is pretty strong. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that being the young guy, he I was the cold caller. You know, right. I was the young guy, and we only worked with doctors with two million bucks in their account. So I had to call surgeons, cardiologists, radiologists, pull them out of surgery, and say, "Hey, do you want financial planning?" I mean, it was miserable. <laughs> it's a great conversation. I'm sure they yeah. were miserable. wide open too. <laughs> I mean, I used to get told to screw off every day, every sure. single oh, day. Oh yeah. Uh, I would pull surgeons out of surgery and they'd yell at me that they're trying to save lives, and I'd say, "Well, hey, you want financial planning?" And you know, I get hung up on. <laughs> Right, And then when they wouldn't have $2 million, you just, and I was probably 22 and I'd have to tell them, Hey man, you just don't have enough money for us. And we could, oh, that's the best. If, if you had that surgeon come out of surgery and get nasty with you, I would have probably said something like, Oh, you probably don't have 2 million in the bank. Anyhow, then they'll get well, mad and they'll actually tell you what they have and you can get them to talk longer. Exactly. Well, exactly. It's exactly what we did. And we would, but one time I even, I told somebody they didn't have enough money. They hung up on me like typical. And they called me back an hour later to tell me how terrible of a person I was. I mean, that's how mad they were. <laughs> <laughs> so, they're, so, eating, they're eating their egg salad sandwich at lunch. And I'm going to call that Clayton back. Tell me he's a dick. Yeah. It was exactly what would happen. But what I'm getting to is you, you grow thick skin pretty quick. You know, yeah. so I, I decided, okay, I'm not going to do this for somebody else. I'm going to do this for myself. And I just started researching different registered investment advisors, things that I can go underneath and just do my thing. And I found one and... Like last time, like typically in college, I was telling my family, hey, I'm making this jump. And my dad and his partners came to me and said, hey, man, what if we just back you and you just you can do your financial planning stuff, but you also could do benefits and we can just back you to build an office. So it was a no brainer. So I did that. And it probably took me a year to figure it out, you know, figure the story out, Hmm. figure benefits out figure out what's my differentiation, things like that. And in my first year, I mean, I probably... Well, I closed about twenty five thousand in new business. I mean, absolutely awful. I mean, it was it's it kind of hit the heart bad because before you're doing so well, and but to build into a new business, it was it kind of sucked. And uh, a couple months later, I probably had forty thousand in annual revenue at that point. I get a call from my dad, and my dad said, "Hey, look, we've been getting offers left and right from the ABC brokerage firms to sell, and this is kind of what you do is when you get." at the end of your years as you sell and this is your retirement plan. So we're going to sell it. It was probably July, end of July. And they said, by January 1st, we're, we're selling the book. And at that point, kind of hung the phone up. It's like, okay, well, do I want to go work with them at the big firm or do I want to go run my own business? And obviously I want to run my own business. Like this is why we did this. And well, the problem was I only had 40,000 in business. So I couldn't afford the business and my, my, my lifestyle. So I kind of wrote down a plan and said, okay, for, from August 1st to end of the year, I need to close 60000 in new business just to pay the bills, you know? And I, I built the plan. I doubled my cold calling. I doubled everything. I deleted all social media, and I kind of went, you know, put the blinders on, and we ended up closing double that. I think about 120000 in new business, and more than enough to go independent. So as of January 1st, 2021, went completely independent, all my clients came with me. It was a great transition. Uh, all the other partners in the firm, they they went to sell, and now they're kind of in their their earnout ages to to transition their books and and go on to retirement. And it hasn't been, I haven't blinked since. I mean, I it, it's been one of the best experiences I've ever had. So really, and that kind of brings us today what what we do. So August, you're sitting there and you're like, I need to do sixty thousand more in revenue before January to. 
um, you know, to be on track. Um, how did you, how did you get to that number? And then how did you figure out what you said you doubled your, you know, activity of, of cold calling and, and certain things like how, how did that stuff come together? Did you sit down and back into the numbers or were you just kind of like, I just need to ramp it up? Like what, talk about that process a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big proponent that there's no such thing as luck. And what it is, is you have to drive enough opportunities to win. I mean, that's kind of my thought. So, and, and sales is such a machine. Anybody that tells you sales isn't a numbers game doesn't know sales in my opinion. Uh, and I don't mean to be harsh about it, but to me, it took 80 calls to set a meeting and okay. it took me in cold calling 10, every time you cold call somebody, 10 meetings to, to close somebody. So that would be 800 phone calls to close somebody. And then you got to take, what do you want your average client to be? And then you divvy that out and then you say, okay, that's how many calls I need to make to set. I need to set that many meetings to close that much business. So I mean, nowadays, like with, with what we do is, let's say we want to bring in a minimum of $150,000 of revenue a year, okay? So 800 calls, a meeting, that'd be, that'd be, I need six clients at an average of 25,000 a client. Uh, so that's 4,800 calls. If I'm going to cold call over 200 days this year, that's 24 calls a day. That's it. So you kind of break it down to the easy numbers and you know it takes three minutes a call to do your notes and do a call so an hour a day of calling that's all i have to do to make 150 grand a year i mean that's of new business so that's really where we struck where i structured it out and that's what i still do today so if you said that you needed to make 4800 calls to get what you needed 95 percent of the people listening to this would be like yeah right i'm not making 4800 calls right Right. They are. Well, guess what, people? That's why you're listening is to learn how to write more business. And as I always say, the paychecks are sexy. The process isn't. If you're going to hit the phones hard, you've got to grind. And I mean, when you say mm -hmm. when you say 4,800 calls, I assume you're talking about like all in 4,800 dials. Like you're not having 4,800 individual conversations, or are you? Are you are you counting a call? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, there's a lot of attrition right there just in the fact that people aren't doing it. I was on a um, I was on a, a two-day fix-your-agency workshop with Billy Williams this week, Dr. Billy Williams, and um, Cody Askins was on there. And I don't know if you follow Cody or not, but yeah, he was yep. he was talking a little bit about some of the things that they do on you know in in his side of things about how you're calling people for life, right? And it was triple dial, boom, 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 right? <laughs> you triple dial to get people on the phone. And it seems like you're doing a lot of excessive work, but it works, right? Now, I've never heard of anybody say triple dial, but I used to be the king of calling them, leaving a short voice message, and then waiting like 10 seconds so that I knew they were listening to the voice message and then calling them right back and you know going from there. But um, What's the know, thought process on that for you? What's like that? Why? But just well, like so, why, so why leave a short it, it, message and call them back? So when I say in the old days, I'm going back to the t back in the days. I don't even know that cell phone companies do this anymore, where you get the ring with the drop, you know, the ring with the beep at the end of it, so you know they're on the phone at that yeah. time. Yeah. So I, I I did it really to be nosy and see if they were listening to my voice message immediately after I left it. Right. That's where there was a lag between calls, and most of the time, man, you'll get them. Right. You'll get them. Now 
there's been a lot of stuff that's changed with cell phone technology at this point. And, you know, for me, I've actually, it's actually gotten me into a little bit of trouble with missing prospect calls, but I changed my iPhone to where anything that is not in my stored contacts does not ring through, period. Just goes straight to voicemail? Straight to voicemail. And it has cut down my calls by like literally 80% of stuff coming oh, I'm to my sure. phone. Because most of it's the car warranty people, yeah, or or somebody, or somebody wanting to buy my home, or you know? somebody right. trying to sell you life insurance, or yeah, some guy pulling me out of surgery. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, I was trying to get that money. <laughs> but anyhow, so I, I do want to I want to talk about this a little bit though because I think it's important, man. Because what I'm hearing is you're not afraid to do the work, but. What's it look like when somebody answers? Like, what's that? Like, you're going to immediately get hammered with objection. Look, nobody wants to talk about financial planning. One of my good friends, Eric Garcia, is a financial planner, and he wants to handle all of this stuff for my estate and my wife's estate. I still don't want to talk to him about it, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm ready, I'll talk to him about it. And, you know, I get all of the natural overcoming of objections. Well, you know, you never know when you're going to be, you know. Listen. Here's what I know. There are things that happen in my life right now that have to be squared away before I can go down that road. There are just things that have to be done. It's really nobody else's business but mine and my wife's right now, and I imagine that's a lot of the, the case when, when you're calling You don't want to discuss that on the pod today? No, not right now, but I will happily when, when the time <laughs> oh, is right. I know, I know you will. You know, but we've got stuff like we got to get a trust set up for Ethan, Right, I have mm-hmm. a special needs son, and we need to have a trust set up so that we know that he's taken care of. That's probably one of the things that bothers me the most um, yeah. of anything with our financial plan. But I have to believe that it's worse than what we deal with, right? Because when we call people up, we have information most of the time. Like we have, we we know beyond a shadow of a doubt what their experience mod is because we've pulled it. You know, it is what it is. But I'm interested when you're calling. Do you did you have information on these people that you were going to use as a wedge? Or are you just trying to establish some type of conversation? And, and, and Chris um, from Connect and Sell, Chris Beal, talked about this when he was on the podcast. He said you got seven seconds, mm-hmm. seven seconds from the time somebody gets on the phone. So so what's that first seven seconds look like? Well, let me let me back up quick and and say we do financial planning uh, and we do four hundred one k's and all that. I but that has became probably twenty five percent of our business. Most of our business now is benefits, and we've kind of taken a financial advising approach on the benefit side and, and working on custom benefit self funded plans. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, you need to make a difference in your cold call the second you're on there. Uh, and the data we're using is probably not as much. Uh, detailed as a mod like you guys see, but I mean, we're just scraping 5,500s yeah, through different say, you can, you My can Edges or Zywaves or Judy Diamonds, knowing how many employees are on a plan. And I mean, some for larger plans, they do have premium dollars, but for some reason, it just never seems always correct. So really, it's say, uh, di- dividing down those employers that fit within our uh, cup of tea and calling those. So we work with employers with 50 or more employees typically enrolled on the medical plan. So we try to call employees or I try to call employers that have more than 50 employees and, and pitch the pitch. the pitch. And uh, most brokers in the benefit side, I would say probably 90% sell retail plans. I mean, they're going to your main broke carriers you heard of, Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna's. And there's a rule or policy with those carriers that if multiple brokers go there, they have to give out the same exact price to every broker. They got to be fair. 
So if you get a client and you just quote those four brokers or carriers every year, there's a really good chance you never lose a client. And and most employers are just they're stuck in where they think that that's their only choice. So when when you build the cold call, to me it's it's do whatever you can take to get the call, but say the same say something interesting in the first 10 seconds so that they want to meet with you because they're not going to remember what what you said on the call two weeks ago to get the meeting. Uh, but we we use different cost containment strategies. I, I, I always give an example, say, hey, one of my clients, 112 of their plan, uh, they put a prescription management program in place and we saved them $234,000 in the first year. And we gave employees $0 co-pays on prescriptions. So that makes it kind of flick in their heads like, well, shoot, how did he do that? You know, how, do, how does this guy bring a strategy like that that I'm not getting at a typical retail carry that I have? So it, it's, okay, let us show you how to do that. Let's jump on a Zoom call. Let's do it in person. I'd rather do in-person meetings, but everybody wants to do Zooms nowadays. Let's set a meeting on Tuesday or Thursday next week. So it's really just give them an example. Say, hey, my typical client is, or clients hire me because of X, and give them a real dollar example, number example that makes it flick in their head that, okay, I, I should give this guy or girl a chance to, to meet with them for 20 minutes. So you said earlier that the cold calling kind of gave you some thick skin pretty quickly. What was like the biggest lesson you learned from your time making all those dials? That it works as much as you hate it does. You know, it. everybody, want, everybody wishes they had a, a huge referral network, you know, that they never had a cold call, that they could market like crazy through their network. And there's not a faster way to get sales than just to pick the phone up or get in front of somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're 23, 24, young age, 27, uh, you're not going to have a big network. You know, you're there's no way to just get referrals from people unless you're taking over somebody's book. So there's not a faster way to make... Or, or you're milking your parents, which is what you typically see, right? right? You see these companies, and I'm not going to name them, but they recruit heavily, specifically in not, not as much benefits in property and casualty, but more on the financial planning side and the life side, where they're going to aggressively come at kids coming right or young adults coming right out of college and they're going to just beat the living crap out of them to milk every ounce of relatives and friends mm -hmm. that are in their Rolodex. And, you know, once it dries up, they're gone. Yep. Right? They leave and go somewhere else. And, you know, part of that's because they've done nothing at all to teach these people solid organic you know, right. strategies to organically build your network of channel partners, build your pipeline, how you nurture the leads that are in there and all of that stuff. You know, I will never stop having phone calls made to set appointments. It's just not going to happen because you're right. It's definitely the fastest and the most volume you can get through. I personally think that cold call marketing drops when you physically drop in and knock on the door are the best way to get that business. Mm -hmm. But with COVID, we've all had to we've all had to pivot, man. I mean, we've we've been on the phones more during COVID than we have in years prior. So it's sort of the new normal to a certain degree. But you know, it goes back to everything that that 
I typically talk about, you know, there's not just one tool, man. You got to be a five tool player, just like you do in baseball or any sport. You can't just be good on the phones. You got to have the phones. You got to have the cold call piece. You have to have the email piece. You have to have the channel partnership piece. I mean, there's just, there's so many different things. And then you have to have the, in my opinion, the the branding and content marketing piece, yeah. right? Because that's, that's, that's passive lead generation. And I think that, you know, average producer out there can't get their head around it. The average agency principal has always done it the same way. So they're not really valuable to them in most cases in time terms of training them and showing them way the way to do things. And, um, you know, I just, I feel like if everybody can figure out the rhythm that works, right? Like how much time per week on the phone, how much time out in the field, how much time, you know, dealing with email, how much time on content creation and all of that. And I think that the ones that the people are the least comfortable with are the phones. People would rather go knock on the door than call on the phone, in my opinion. They don't want to do anything on the phones. They don't want to do anything on video or for content marketing. Those are the two that they're the most apprehensive to do. The problem with that is that content marketing piece is the one that is going to work for you behind the scenes all the time. That in, that in, in drip email campaigns. So, you know, from my perspective... People need to get comfortable real quick with doing videos for YouTube and turning those into blog posts and getting them out onto the internet because that's officially a salesperson working for you 24-7, 365 in the background while you're out doing your other stuff. Plus, if Kyle goes out to an appointment and he's talking about return to work, he has instant credibility if he says, hey, I wrote a series of articles on return to work and all of the materials you need to build your program are right here. I'll send you the link when I get back. Boom. Now this guy's an instant authority on that. Do you think they're going to take the time to do it? No, but they will hire the guy that wrote the series of articles about it because they know he knows what he's mm -hmm. talking about. So if you're a producer out there and you're not doing five, literally you could do more than five things, but if you don't have five core competencies in your game, you better figure out how to get them there in a hurry because three will never beat five as far as I'm concerned. I think one thing that makes sales and cold calling and the content marketing so tough is it it's demeaning. It's uh, it's It gets you to a point in your life where you say, why am I doing this? This is so freaking hard. Why do I put myself through this stress? And I'm sure you've put out a ton of content and nobody views it once in a while and you think to yourself, why do I even do this? You know, I always tell myself, sales is a roller coaster. You know, whenever you have your darkest day is when you close the biggest business. I mean, that's absolutely, so you just got to call one more day after you had your darkest day or do one more video or one more drop. And that's the one you, you always close whenever totally. you just feel the crappiest and you want to tell yourself I quit. I mean, that's what, that's kind of what drives me. I mean, like I said, it takes me 80 calls to do set a meeting, but shoot, I mean, right now, I've done, I, I track every call every day. I've done 220 calls and I haven't set a meeting. But I know over average it's going to be 80. I just got to keep calling and then one day I'm going to hit five in a exactly. row. You know, it's just, it's kind of like one of those examples. You just got to be persistent about it. Exactly. Yep. There were so many times when I was, you know, going B2B selling office supplies where it was just a rough day. I mean, like once I was there for a few years and kind of got the flow of everything, I could go out and I could, you know, hit, I could, I could close two accounts in my first three to four doors that I went and saw, but there was the occasional day where you're just getting bludgeoned and it's four o'clock and you're like, dude, what the hell is going on? I'm like, all right, I'm just going to hit the, I'm going to hit this last little strip of businesses and 
and and we're done after that and we'll you know get them get them tomorrow but almost every single time without fail you walk in and it's and it's an account and you pick it up and and, and then afterwards you just you're just like dude you just got to keep you got to keep pushing you got to hit that that one more call that one more door whatever it is and Absolutely. it's going to come through so i agree so what was the what was the icebreaker, man? You got seven seconds. How do you open the call? Well, like I said, I'm I'm just trying to as quick as I can say my name, my company, Clayton Woods, CB Wood Financial. We do employee benefits, and then instantly give an example, like I just like I said before. And it could be an example about how we're sourcing prescriptions, and uh, which, like I said, saved a company two hundred thirty four thousand dollars. Another example is we're we're lowering or we're managing claims in a way that we can lower the deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums for your employees at a zero dollar to zero dollars and save you on claims costs in the background at the same time. So you, so again, so what's the average amount that, what's the average amount that you, that you're able to save somebody? So it's typically when we're moving from a retail plan, so a fully insured plan to a self-funded plan, it's typically minimum 20%. So a group with a hundred employees, they're going to spend a million dollars a year on benefits. We're going to save them 200000 and it's almost guaranteed. Okay. Uh, so one of the easiest ones, I guess, to give you an example of what we're doing, so like sourcing prescriptions. So uh, you go to the pharmacy, you use your, your card, you get your prescription from the pharmacy, you pay your $25 copay. But in the background, your employer is actually paying for the rest of that prescription. Uh, so what we're doing is we're putting a sourcing vendor in place that has three different ways of sourcing. One is we can get prescriptions straight for the manufacturer for free. And it's usually the specialty drugs. So the biggest one everybody talks about is Humira because it's the highest revenue-driving drug in the country. $6,000 a month, $72,000 a year. So we can source that prescription straight from a manufacturer and get that completely free for the claims fund, for the employer, and then $0 for the employee. So one Humira, we're instantly saving a client $72,000. If we can't source it like that, we there's things called copay cards. So anything that you see on a commercial, Google it sometime to, and put discount card, coupon card, whatever it is afterwards. And you can get that drug. These coupon cards have anywhere from $1,000 to $100,000 on them. So we build these benefit plans to be able to utilize all the that coupon card to the most that it can be used for. So that saves about 80% on the prescription. And then lastly, we have pharmacies in Canada and Mexico that prescriptions are half the cost is the exact same prescription that we get it for 50% off. So a company, typically their claims, 27% of their claims goes to pharmacy. Small businesses, a lot of the times it's 50% of their claims and we can cut that into a third instantly by using a sourcing vendor like that. So we're just adding in. So what we're doing is we're managing claims in a very efficient way to know what it costs before they go to a procedure, know the cost before they go to imaging, direct primary care, specialty care, pharmacy, et cetera, managing those claims in the right way so the employer pays less money and that money stays in their pocket. So so my thing is, if, I, if, you call, if I'm calling that doctor, and I'm not going to cr- criticize you, but if I've got seven seconds, everything you just said, you lost me, period. Well, I, yeah, like, I, I guess I'm not talking the cold call anymore. I'm just talking what we do. So yeah. Yeah, but I mean, even, even in the cold call, I took everything that you said, and what I surmised is, Doc, listen, I know that you're busy, but I can give you $200,000 for five minutes of your time, right? Yeah. Now I've got his attention. Now I can talk about whatever I want. But that's what I'm getting to. When when you're cold calling on the phone, when you're door knocking or whatever else, you have to have that shock and awe. 
somebody's going to, I don't care how much money they have. If they got 2 million in the bank, they still want to know how you're going to give them 10% more money, right? So, you know, it, that's something that's going to get people's attention. Same thing we do with the workers' comp mm-hmm. side. You know, we could call and tell them what their experience mod is. That's not going to, that is not what's going to catch their attention. Half these people don't even know what the mod is. But if you tell them they're paying 50% more than their competitor, now they now they got something to figure out, right? And the other thing I think that a lot mm-hmm. of people, you know, another angle that you can use, and I'm not necessarily saying this per se um, from you, but this would also work for you. It's the same thing that, that I do, and that is um, with all of the issues people have with hiring and retaining talent right now, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I want them to understand that I'm working with their competition to reduce their total cost of risk. And because their competition has taken that seriously, they have the money to spend more money per hour on an employee, give more robust benefits, and have better pricing structures for their clients so that they can gain market share. So if you want to get market share, I would suggest you talk with us because the people that are taking it from you right now are our clients. Yeah, that's great. I think I think you hit... First off, you're you're absolutely right. Every cold call or first interaction needs to have that wow factor. There's no silver bullet to it. I think it's you always have to critique and try to change what you're doing to make it most efficient. I think at the end of, end of the day, shoot, you could call someone and say it's not going to work, but you could call someone and say, "Hey, I want to I want to meet about your benefits." And then if that's all you said, and you knew that it took 250 calls to set a meeting just by saying that, do 250 calls. You know. If you just know your numbers, who mm-hmm. cares what you say? Uh, it's gonna you're gonna get burnt out. You, you want to make, make it sure you're doing better in that case. But just know your numbers and do that many, and and you know that that's how you're gonna be successful in the business. I guess. What's your thought on Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Well, Kyle, I'm gonna let you talk for a second. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Like with the whole numbers thing, especially initially when you first start doing something, like you've got to kind of make up you know, in numbers, what you initially lack in skill, like there's going to be a little bit of a, of a drop off there. And I had to always tell, you know, the people that I was training that, I mean, they're, they're new, they're coming in and they've never, you know, sold whatever it is that we're selling. Like they're going to have to, they may have to see 50 businesses before they get that first sale. Whereas if I've been doing it for three or four years, it might only take me five or 10 but that's just a skill set that's come from, you know, hammering, hammering, hammering every single day. So I think that's important. And it's it's something that people don't necessarily want to hear. And, and you know, we've talked about it earlier on this on this pod that, you know, some, some people don't want to pick up the phone and do it. But if, you know, if that's the piece that's lacking in your game, sometimes you got to bite that bullet, man, and you just got to do it. It's not going to it's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be easy, but that's what it's going to take to get to you know develop your skill set and get to the point where you don't have to make 250 calls in, in my you you can go ahead yeah yeah it, in, in ahead. my opinion you. there is no greater form of natural selection in the world than the sales game period it's survival of the fittest the people who are willing to adapt make their game better and push through adversity are the ones that are going to move on i have never done anything that has ultimately turned out to a success you know, into a success in my life that didn't start out with me feeling awkward when I tried it the first time. Any, anytime sure. you try something new, anytime you push the boundaries, you're going to feel weird about it. 
that's normal. If you don't feel first time I walked into a business to try to pitch them office supplies, I I thought I was gonna throw <laughs> and, up. And that's and, and, like, and, and, and was, if you look at it now, it's ludicrous because every business needs office supplies. You're not going in and trying totally. to sell them something that they have no use for. It's something that they're mm-hmm. using already. Same thing with insurance. We're yeah. calling on people who right. already have it. So it's not weird that we're asking them, you know, questions about that or doing it now that we're used to it. But I mean the other thing too is I think that we're so used to having I don't I don't want to take shots at, at, at generations or whatever, but the ability to delay gratification is lost. Most people want it and they want it yeah. now. And and so when mm-hmm. you're having to spend time honing your phone game, that's gonna be something that's gonna take days, weeks, months, even a year or two before mm-hmm. you're really at the top of your game on it. Why delay? <laughs> why wait? Like, why put it off? Why not start yesterday so that you're that much closer to reaching your potential? But you're truly, it's on the job training in many cases. You can go and you can get scripts. You can go listen to people who will give you tips on what has worked from them for them. But at the end of the day, you got to get those reps in, man. Well, it's going to help you with other areas of that too. Like, I mean, it- if you're at you know a, a happy hour or at some sort of networking event or you're just out, it's going to help you with your little elevator pitch and somebody asks you what they do. I mean, you never know who you can run into, um, but it's good to ha- and, and that's one. Of, I will say, you know, we 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 talk about and joke about B and I, you know, um, on, on a semi frequent basis on here. I'm I'm in a chapter, but it, that is one thing that it totally helps you with every single week. You get up and, and, you know, for 30 seconds, you you give people your little ele- elevator pitch about what a good referral for you would be for that week. And it helps you describe, you know, what you do in a succinct, uh, efficient manner. And I, I think that that's obviously something that you learn from from doing the cold calls, but it, it'll help in those other areas of your sales game when you least expect it to. Yeah, I think um, the, the other piece of that, too, is as you're – like, like my elevator pitch is so much easier now, right? Like I, I want to get just similar to what I just said about, Hey doc, I can save you $200,000 in five minutes. You're going to get their attention that way. You got to keep it simple at the very beginning. And so when people ask me, it, it, my elevator pitch is really easy. Who's your ideal client? Somebody who's who you've heard complain about their workers comp. That's it. If you've heard anybody complain about it, I'll take the chances as to whether or not it's a small business or a middle market business, because for me, that's just filtering whether it goes to small business in-house account or it gets assigned to a producer. But if I, how many people have heard somebody complaining about workers' comp? That's a very broad description. Right. They could be complaining about the price. They could be complaining about an audit. They could be complaining about a fraudulent claim. They could be complaining claim, about yeah. a, le- a legitimate claim. Any number of things. And so when somebody asks me, I want to hit them with that first, because there's a much higher likelihood that they're going to be able to say, oh, man, I was just sitting in a meeting the other day with somebody talking about employee benefits, and they were just railroading their workers' comp agent. Well, guess what? The same thing holds true. I can then drill down. But if I went in and said, my ideal client is somebody who has a mod of 1.5 or higher, my referral partner doesn't have any clue what that is. Nobody's ever going to get to that level of detail. And I think one of the things, too, it's interesting you bring that up, is as we progress in our careers and we have more knowledge um, obviously there's so many more things that we do besides help people that have been complaining about their workers comp. And we get to a point where we want to explain all those wonderful things that Florida risk partners can do, or, you know, ABC firm. But if you just keep it simple and you're saying, Hey, I, I want to talk with anybody who you've heard that has had issues with their workers comp or has been complaining about their workers comp. 
Well, then we can get in and start talking about all that other stuff. But if, if you get into that in the, in the very beginning of it and you just kind of like info dump, it just becomes overwhelming for people. And then they're confused. They don't know who to look for. They don't know how to help you. Um, and, and so that's, uh, I think, keeping that super simple to start with is the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, I think you have to tie everything to dollars to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything, but the majority of the time. I mean, for any objection, to me, that's always the easiest way to overcome the objection, in my opinion, right? So when, oh, but my agent's my friend. Great. Well, is he a $50,000 a year friend? Is he a $75,000 a year friend? Is she a $25,000 a year friend? I don't know, but here's how much it's costing you for that friendship to be who represents you. You can be friends and not have them represent you. That's fine. But right now, of course, they're your friend. You're paying them all kinds of money to get substandard mm-hmm. results. And the worse you do, the more money they make. But I want I want to do that. Like Even when I go in and we pitch about um, total cost of risk and how long a company is. I like to show them how long they're working over the course of the year just to pay back their total cost of risk. So we'll use an assumed sales amount, an assumed profit margin, and then we'll take the total um, out-of-pocket loss costs, both soft and hard costs, put them together, and we'll show them that they're working for 45 days, 50 days a year. You're working for almost two months just to pay for your total cost of risk. That means 10, you're only getting 10 out of 12 months a year worth of actual net profit. Let's let's focus on you not having to do that. People don't think about things that way. And mm-hmm. the more creative you can be, truthful, I'm not, I'm not saying be creative and make crap up and try and sell it to them. I'm saying take the information you have and package that in such a way that it's going to make an immediate impression. If you tell somebody in production manufacturing they're working 10 out of I mean 2 months out of the year, 1/6 of the year just to pay for total cost of risk, holy cow, they're going to short circuit when they see that. And then you can start talking about the different things that you can do as the agency or the producer to help them, but you know, I think you do. You got to hit them right between the eyes right out of the box. You know, I want to switch gears for a second because I I think that um you know, the self-funding benefits piece is, is interesting. Um, Derek Hayden, who won Protege, is huge into self-funding up in Illinois. I mean, that's one of the things he's constantly putting information out on on LinkedIn and otherwise. You know, that landscape, it's been a while since I've been in there. When I originally started out, I would immediately roll my clients into a partially self-funded plan with Great West or Cigna or whoever else it was. But that landscape has changed quite a bit over the recent past. And I know that they were doing um, what they call the level-funded plans and things, being completely transparent, haven't seen anything about it in like the last two years. I don't know if they blew up and went away or whatever else. But why don't you talk just a little bit about the landscape of self-funding right now um, that's out there. And then we'll wrap up with that because I think that that's something that a lot of people need to hear about. They probably don't understand it or are afraid to learn it because it sounds like it's complicated. But people, if you can write workers' comp, you can write self-funded benefits. The policy structure and the financial mechanism is almost identical when you look at how you back into the way those things are structured. So talk about that just for a little bit and how... um, you know, how you're using that out in the marketplace, number one. And number two, 
there's a lot of PNC agents, and I know we got a ton in North Carolina that are probably looking for somebody they can refer stuff to. So talk a little bit about what you could do to help solidify their PNC books since you don't compete with them right. on the property and casualty. That You could be a very valuable weapon to agents in, in North Carolina and the states you work just to keep other agents from sniffing around their accounts. Right. So let's I guess let's start with your typical fully insured and why would you want to go to self-funding and, and what's the difference? So your typically fully insured plan, I mean, it's it's the car insurance you're used to. You pay your premium on a monthly basis, and when you claim, the carrier pays the rest of your claim, and at the end of the year, they give you your increase, and they really don't tell you what you're do they're doing with your money behind the scenes when you're paying that premium. Really, what they're doing is setting money aside to help pay for that claim, and their goal is to to have you not claim that much so they have that excess profit. Uh, the in the medical space, there's this thing called the medical loss ratio that says, and it was from the Affordable Care Act, that says that companies or carriers, excuse me, can only make up to 15 to 20% of profit on the premium that they make. So the thought is, if they're making a percentage of profit, the only way they get a raise is if they give you an increase. Well, how do they justify their increase? Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna, they own the PPO network. So what a PPO network is, is it's a negotiated price between the hospitals and the doctors and what the carrier pays. So what they do is they increase the cost of the procedure, which increases the cost of your claims, which increases gives allows you to get an increase at the end of the year. So if you just follow the money where the profit is, that's why carriers do so great. So when you move over to the self-funding side is we're finding everything that's completely independent. Your administrator's independent, which that's the company that helps you process and pay your claims. Your stop loss insurance is independent, which stop loss insurance says if your claims go over X, they're going to cover the excess risk. Okay. And then all your vendors are independent. The last thing is now you have a bucket of claims that the employer is allowed to manage themselves. So now instead of let's peddle insurance, it's let's be an advisor to your firm and help you manage the claims in an efficient way so that your claims bucket doesn't get used as much as possible. So that money is retained with a client. So if we can drive less claim costs for a client, that's more money into their EBITDA, increases the value of their company, or you can think of it as they can reinvest that company in more marketing, more employees, et cetera. So our whole game now is how can we put cost containment strategies like the sourcing prescriptions like I talked about before, a direct contract with a hospital at, that has cheaper pricings than a PPO rate, direct contract with primary care, anything that we can do to manage a claim so that those claims that go out aren't as much as they were before at that PPO rate. And that's how we're significantly saving on the self-funding side. Does that help? So if I... Yeah, so if I'm a PNC producer, what am I listening for from my client? Because number one, I think every PNC producer out there, if you go into an account and that account has a mod that is not the minimum mod, ask about the benefits program, right? You don't have mm -hmm. to, you can even say, look, I don't even sell benefits. I'm just interested because in my experience, higher mod accounts typically have bad benefits plans or substandard benefits plans. So let's talk about that for a little bit. So that, let's just say they do that and they get the person to talk, give them three things to listen for that they should be looking for this client to say that says, this is a good lead. And this is somebody that I should be 
you know, either talking to the benefits person in my agency, or if you're in, in Clayton's area, by all means, reach out to him and, and let him help you with this, but give him three bullet points and then we're calling, we're calling it a wrap. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, first off, I mean, benefits is the third most expensive line item on a company's budget. I mean, it's labor, it's raw materials, and then it's benefits. So you're constantly hearing people complain about how much their increase was on the medical side. That's the easiest thing. I mean, your typical increase on your Blue Cross to United Cigna Aetna plan is 8 to 15% a year. So if they're spending a million bucks and getting a 15% increase, that's an extra 150000 that they're spending. So that happens all the time. So you're going to hear that. Uh, a lot of people want to be able to control their health care in a better way. Why am I getting this increase? How do I not get this increase? Nobody has answers anymore. And, and nobody has answers to that. Or, hey, we had to make the employees pay more out of their paychecks to be able to cover the cost of health care. Or we had to increase our deductibles this year because we had to cover the cost of health care. Well, if they're hearing, if you're hearing those things, increases in making the employees pay more on their paychecks, increasing the deductibles just to be able to afford health insurance, getting an increase from their carrier, anything like that. There's a better option out there to control claims. Most of our clients are paying less than they did five years ago. And just because we're managing claims. I mean, our average increases are under 3% a year because of that, the last 10 years for the carriers that we have. So if you're hearing those things, that there's there's better options out there. And yeah, absolutely. And kind of like what you said prior, I mean, everybody needs an, an aven, different avenues to market. I mean, this is, we cold called. Our goals this year is to, to add more content, add more be on more podcasts, be in more articles, do more on LinkedIn. So, I mean, this is kind of why we're doing that, to reach out, to be a referral partner for somebody else. And and same thing with you want to build a, a moat around your clients so people aren't sniffing around. We want to do the same thing, be able to, to refer our clients to other PNC brokers too. Well, you just had 15,000 of them from around the country hear your message today, man. We appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to uh, come and chat with us a little bit, and hopefully it bears some fruit for you. But really, I feel like we gave some good practical stuff to the audience as a whole about things they can be doing out on the streets every day. So thanks for coming on, Clayton. Much appreciated. Everybody else, see you next time. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.